Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. David Ewing Duncan with us talking to robots, his latest book, Tales from Our Human Robot Futures. David, how sophisticated can these robots get in 25 to 50 years from now? Well, they're moving so quickly, it's actually really hard to know. Um, There's also, it's an interesting cycle in these technologies. There's a lot of hype, like, oh my gosh, it's going to happen tomorrow, and it almost always takes a little longer than we think. But I think that is exactly the time frame when we're going to be having a, a really profound transition and you know we're starting to see elements of this you know both both positive and negative um in you know further automation uh there are predictions of i don't know it depends on who you read but massive job losses due to automation some people think that that's overstated uh you know there'll be new jobs that'll come up uh certainly we're seeing our you know even appliances <laughs> i mean pretty much Everything is becoming, uh, you know, more and more sophisticated, um, you know, in terms of, of AI. Uh, you, it depends on where you want to go with it, you know, yeah. military, uh, et cetera. So it's all moving fairly quickly. Uh, but I think that'll be a big inflection point, you know, in the, say, say more the 25 to 30-year frame. Could these robots turn on us? I think they, that's definitely a scenario. Oh, jeez. I mean, um, it's, it can, if you think about how some of these things can go, it can get a little scary. And I just mentioned automated warfare. That, that in the book, um, out of the 24 robots I write about, is the part I am most scared about. Um, because the military has gotten very sophisticated. You know, we hear about drones and smart bombs and, you know, all, all of these different systems. Um, you, you know, I, I was surprised myself when I researched that, the breadth of, of the types of, even you know combat warfare, these small and large—they're microbots. Uh, they have swarming drones. You know, they, where hundreds of them come come in, and there's no way to really defend from that. You know, against that. Um, and in some cases, uh, like cyber warfare is already automated because it happens so fast. You know, if there's a cyber attack against a company or against the government or military, it happens in nanoseconds. And so sure you have to have that part on, automated. Um, Right now, there's a human in the loop uh, when, when we actually have lethal uh, attacks, like with drone attacks, but that could easily be removed. So that's one example where it's coming pretty fast. So you'd be afraid of the military aspects of robotics, but what would you like about the future of robotics? Well, I mean, we've seen smartphones. I mean, they're, they're, they're so ubiquitous and and. I mean, we're so used to them now, we, it's hard to believe that, you know, I think the iPhone came out in 2006, which wasn't that long ago. Um, and, you know, there's convenience everywhere uh, It's helping us uh, through AI and automation. I mean, people that are in favor of driverless cars or even um, driver-helped cars, um, you know, talk about the safety aspect. And even though driverless cars have actually... Uh, caused two or three fatalities. That's a lot less than than humans driving. I mean, there's some other other issues around driverless cars, but the safety seems to be um, you know on a lot of people's minds. Um, so, you know, it, it it makes life easier. We can run things better. Um, you know, coordinate things. So that aspect of it, and we haven't quite gotten the helper bots yet. You know, for for us individually, but you know. Like, I think Alex 
Alexa's kind of 50-50 whether you like it or not. It <laughs> seems to be only able... You say, Alexa, play that song, and it goes, I don't understand the question. And She argues so, with you now. Yeah. What's that? It argues with you, basically. Sometimes it does, yeah. I mean, that's all human programming, though. Whenever you ask it a funny question, like the meaning of life or something, um, you know, it's, it's humans that are programming some, some clever answers. But, you know, it's also pretty nice, you know, turn up, you know, Turn up the AC, you know, um, you know, check out, well, you know, check out. Or you, or you ask it a question stuff. about something and it's got the answer for you. Yeah, yeah. And that kind of technology is going to get better and better. You know, it's, it's going to start moving into our cars. It already is to some extent. I mean, you, know, you can look in the next three to five years. Basically, your, your car will be like an extension of your phone. And most of the things that your phone does... Um, you know, you'll be able to do in your car. You possibly will be connected. David, and, the uh, robotics that I love are like the rovers that we send to Mars, and they do these incredible things from millions of miles away. That's that's amazing technology. It really is. And, yeah, in fact, I, I just recently met the chief designer of, of the early rovers, who's, interestingly enough, working on uh, little tiny robots that are working with uh, children who have autism and, and other neurobehavioral uh-huh. deficits. He decided to turn more to that. But, um, yeah, I mean, I guess that would be another you know, good use, too. There are a lot of therapeutic uses for these that are being um, investigated right now. Because sometimes uh, the, these kids and others uh, respond better to a kind of cute, cuddly robot, you know, with big eyes. And in this case, the robot is actually... Uh, helping the kid become a better human by asking questions on why, you know, why do, why, when do people laugh? You know, have, you know, sort of social cues that um, some, some kids miss, you know, if they're autistic. I, I had a friend who uh, had an operation a few weeks ago by a robot. Now, the doctor oversaw the operation, but it was the robot who conducted it because it was the only thing that could fit into the, you know, portions that needed to be worked on. And th- that's amazing technology, too. Yeah, I've seen that, actually. And they're, they're not what you think. They're, they look like giant kind of octopuses with, more, you know, a lot with more little, arms. And that's they're, right. They're, you know, many of them are hovering over, you know, the patient. And there usually is a doctor that's actually operating it. Um, and, you know, in some cases, like, there's, there, you, uh, a doctor's hand, as steady as it might be, isn't quite steady enough, and especially like in brain surgery. Um, these, these robots are very precise, you know, where they make an incision or they um, implant something. And so that's become, yeah, a routine part of some operations. So I just had a story before you came on, David, about loneliness. In, in a study among young people, lots of people are lonely. The robotics could fix that. Well, exactly. And in fact, um, I just talked about kids and robots, but uh, there's a whole range of companies um, and labs that are developing robots for for the elderly. And you know, people have dementia or mild dementia, and uh, some of these are sort of pet-like, and they coo and it's amazing. Know, they, they work, yeah. And you have know, a lot of the, the elderly are you know they're confused. Sometimes if they have dementia or they're lonely. We're going to uh, confuse them even more now with robotic animals. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know. I know. Where do you draw the line on that? Um, but, yeah, I mean, that gets into a section of the book 
that everybody's curious about, which is the sex bot chapter. But I call this the sex intimacy bot because when I went to some experts on relationships and sex, um, they they got after me. They said, "Don't talk about sex bots. That's that's kind of creepy. Um, it's really about intimacy." And in fact, the more sophisticated companies that are developing these robots, their companion bots. Um, they actually market them um, using terms like one of them uses the term "be the first to never be lonely again." Oh my God! Do you ever see the day, David, where somebody will take their robotic person to dinner, seat it, sit across from the thing, and have their dinner while the robots are just there, maybe carrying on a conversation? I think that might already be happening with some of these. AI. That's got to be know, weird. Companion bots. You know, they, some of them cost upwards of thirty grand. Wow. And supposedly, you know, they have machine learning. They can learn about you. In fact, you know, food is one of the examples that these guys gave me. You know, they they learn what you like to eat, and you know, you talk to them about, well, I'm going to go get pizza, and they say, well, wait a minute, don't you like, you know, Thai food? Why, why are you going to get pizza? <laughs> um, so they're not actually eating, but uh, they're already participating in conversations like that. In your book, Talking to Robots, what would you say of the 24 robots and the one you, the military one you're a little hesitant about, but how dangerous would these robots be? I mean, could they literally harm somebody, kill somebody? Well, some, I mean, we're already there. On their own. Ways. I mean, these you know, AI systems, I mean, they run buildings, they run elevators, they, you know, they run air traffic control. Um, they're everywhere. They run. Uh, they, they run jets sometimes into the yeah. ground. We hear. Well, that happened. I mean, that's that. Uh, yeah, that that seven thirty seven Max was a Max eight crash. That was a real cautionary tale because, um, you know, it's sometimes I when I think about the danger of these robots, I almost fear the dumb robots more than I do the smart ones. I mean, in sci fi, you, know, you have HAL nine thousand, all these incredibly smart robots that that go malicious. But that was a dumb robot. That was a robot that was very smart doing one thing. It was designed you know, to, to navigate this plane, except... It didn't. It, yeah, it, it couldn't even do what any, you know, really, a, you know, probably a fifth grader could figure out that the plane was going to crash, and the robot couldn't, you know, couldn't go beyond its programming and wouldn't, wouldn't listen to the humans who were trying, you know, trying desperately to, to fix it. So... We will probably see a lot of that, actually. Jeez. You get a kick out of this. I have uh, on my bulletin board in my office a letter from the late Ray Bradbury, the great sci-fi writer. Oh, he, man, he, that's he, great. He wrote an episode for Twilight Zone called I Sing the Body Electric, and it was about a family, a couple little kids and a father. They lost their mother. She died. And he went to the robot store and bought them a nanny. And the nanny, of course, did everything. And and this was in the Twilight Zone back in the 60s. This thing was very sophisticated. I mean, it talked to them. It walked to them. She looked like a real person. And, uh, you know, she took care of the family. It ended, David, with the kids grown up, a little adults, leaving the house and the nanny being given to another family to do it all over again. That's real. Yeah. Well, that's you know that's Teddy Bot in the book. It's it's uh, it's a it's actually in that case is sort of a Teddy Bot like like creature. But 
in the future, as I write about, you know, because this is told from the future, you know, we have these these basically teddy bots that take care of our kids. They teach them, they they keep them secure. They're nannies, and uh, the, the my human collaborator on that. By the way, most of the chapters have a real person that helped me come up with some of these robots, uh-huh. some of the future okay. scenarios. It's a futurist named Kevin Kelly who uh, writes for Wired, and uh, he's an amazing guy. He's written several books. And he came up with this because he wants it for his grandchildren. But, you know, we came up with all kinds of reasons why this would be a great idea and a not-so-great idea. And on the not-so-great idea part, is, it's basically who would program a robot like that? I mean, would the factory program it? Would the government program it? I mean, who would, who would come up with the parameters? You know, what about people that want to be strict with their kids versus people that might want to be lenient? And that gets into issues that almost apply to every robot that's going to interact with us at any kind of, you know, emotional level. Let's say you had a robot in the house, and it cleaned your house, and it stayed there. Would you have any concerns of going to sleep thinking that robot could try to strangle you or kill you when you were sleeping? Um. It's hard to imagine that with the current technology. I mean, that's a sort of almost sci-fi trope. Um, but, you know, I've, I, I've, I've got a Roomba here. Just I'm looking at it right now. That's a little vacuum, right? Yeah, it's a little robot vacuum. It, you know, follow, it just has, again, one task. It doesn't do anything other than it, it moves around the house, and it, if, it, if it touches something, it moves around it. So it's got sensors. Um, I mean, I don't think that little Roomba is going to come and strangle me in my sleep, but they're, they're going to get more and more sophisticated. And it, it's probably, like I said, it's more likely to be an accident or something that was not programmed properly um, than, you know, some malicious evil robot, you know, like HAL 9000 or Terminator or something like that. Which robot surprised you the most in your book? Um, well, I had a bunch of surprises, actually. <laughs> Um, you know, and, you know, my my field is biology and genetics, so I knew knew mostly what was going on there sure. with you know AI and um, you know I had some fun. We we can talk about uh, synthetic or, or bio robots, um, you know, that, which are not mechanical. Um, but I learned a lot about you know robots I knew less you know or, or areas I knew less about, like in my own in our own field in journalism. Um, most major newspapers and, and media outlets now use AI to write basic stories. I didn't know that. Actually. I didn't know that either. How do they yeah, do that? That was out there, but you know, it's it's simple things. And it started with like sports statistics and um, you know financial statistics. But in t- 2016, with the Rio Olympics, uh, I think it was the Washington Post was the first to use AI. You know, they they basically program these. You know, form, formulaic stories of several types of stories or templates, and then the, the you know the AI can select different words, and you know you you, well, you just plug in the names of the winners yeah, or something. Exactly, and they also use huh. that to cover the 2016 election. So some of the basic you know three line results about you know who won in some congressional district somewhere. Um, the robots wrote that. I don't think anything could really replace an eyewitness reporter. Do you? I, Who's on the well, scene and senses it? Um, probably not. And where you know my human collaborators for that chapter were Robert Siegel, you know, the longtime NPR host, um, amazing journalist who just retired recently, and and Stephanie Meta, who was the ed- editor of Fast Company, and 
they both are actually seeing this ha- happen, um, you know, in, in their own newsrooms. Um, but they they were talking about you know the creative aspect, and that's where we humans still have you know a leg up, and I think we will for a long time. It's hard to imagine uh, you know a, a robot writing a, a really creative or, or, or wonderful article or a short story or a poem, or doing what you do, George. I mean. Well, maybe, but... <laughs> how do you know I'm not a robot, David, that the network has programmed to interview you? Yeah, yeah. well, you might be, but... That could know, happen I mean, one day. Yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I mean like saw, a, you, probably, you probably can remember, like, Max Headroom. I've so, always wanted to bring Alexa into the studio and have callers talk to it. Yeah, or interview it. I don't know. Or interview. Would, would, it, would it carry... Can it carry on a conversation... Not really. I actually thought about doing that for the book, and I tried to do it. Although I got to tell you, I turned off Alexa. I don't use it anymore. How come? What happened? Well, this is you know the darker side of all this. You know, you're asking about some of the darker sides of what, what's happening yeah. right now. I was I was doing an interview for a story. It was a medical story, and I was referring to a fairly obscure disease in the story. You know, speaking it on the phone, mm-hmm. talking to somebody. And while I was still on the phone in the interview, I had my computer. I was starting to get ads for this disease. <laughs> and there's no way, there's the only way that all of my machines would know that I was interested in that disease at all was that it had to be overheard by me talking about it. And Alexa was is the prime. Spying on you. Yeah, right. Well, and, and that's enough. I turned it off. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't, I, I, I value my privacy and I. Didn't really want to like I am concerned who's on the other end. Yeah. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.